All right. Well, good morning, River City. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful to get to worship with you guys this morning, join you. We're going to open God's Word together. Excited to do that together. Uh, if you are new or visiting, especially just want to say welcome. If there's anything that we can do to serve you or help you get to connected to the community here at River City, uh, we'd love to do that. Come find me or somebody else up front, somebody that looks like they've been here before. We, we'd love to get to know you and get you plugged in here. So... Uh, this morning, we're actually wrapping up a series we've been in for the past few months, uh, taking a look at what the Apostle Paul describes in, in Galatians chapter 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is, is this description that he gives of the kind of uh, the transformed life of a Christian, that, which is increasingly characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And and from the beginning of our series, what we've tried to highlight is, is the reality that the fruit of the Spirit is not merely some list of attributes we're just supposed to be striving really hard to attain. Uh, in fact, they're actually something that we can't produce in and of ourselves. That instead, the fruit of the Spirit is something that, that God supernaturally produces in us when by his spirit he causes the truth of the gospel to take deep root in our heart. And so, in other words, what we've been highlighting throughout our series is that, that believing and responding to the truths of the gospel, to the, to the person and the work of Jesus, that's the one thing that not only can, but will inevitably produce the fruit of the spirit in our lives. And so, if you've been around River City for, for any length of of time, that shouldn't surprise you, right? We talk about the gospel being connected with our growth all the time. In fact, we highlight that every week in the very first part of our vision, right? We talk about how we want to be a church that is growing in the gospel. We want to be a church that's characterized by increasingly understanding and believing and living in light of the person and the work of Jesus. And, and what we've done is because we've, we've, as we've seen throughout our series, is that the gospel isn't just simply some, it's not just the foundation of our faith. The, the gospel is really the, the hub at the center of the wheel of our faith. It's the thing that every aspect of our life and of our faith must be connected to if it's going to work properly. And so, in other words, the gospel isn't just what saves us and makes us right with God. The gospel is also the truth that ongoingly changes us. It's the thing that transforms us into the people that God has saved us to be. And so the goal of our whole series here as we've looked through the fruit of the Spirit, the, the whole point of our series has been to try to flesh out that part of our vision a little further, to, to try to connect some of those dots between how believing and responding to the truth of the gospel actually changes us and causes us to grow up spiritually. And so every week as we've studied the various aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, we've, we've been trying to show you the gospel roots that produce that spiritual fruit in our life, to show you what it is about the gospel, what it is about the person and the work of Jesus, that when it sinks down deeply into our hearts, it inevitably changes us. It inevitably produces in us the fruit of the Spirit. As we study the fruit of love, we, we saw how it's only when you encounter and dwell on the reality of, of God's costly, selfless, sacrificial love for you that you'll increasingly be characterized by a love for him and a love for others that, that's not based on perceived worthiness or reciprocal benefit or, or relative ease, but, but a love that's consistent even when it's hard to love, a, a love that, that's, that's, that's consistent even when it's costly, even when it requires sacrifice. 
When we took a look at the fruit of patience, we, we saw how it's the, the degree to which you recognize and are humbled by how patient and long-suffering and forbearing God has been with you. That'll be the degree to which you are characterized by patience with others and in the midst of difficult situations. Last week, as we studied, we studied the fruit of self-control, and we saw how, saw it's responding to the forgiving grace of God that empowers us to live lives that are characterized by self-control and, and humble submission to God, rather than indulgence in our own sinful desires. And we highlight how there, there's no amount of guilt or shame that, that can motivate or empower us to be characterized by self-control in the long term, but when we see and keep coming back to the lavish grace of God, but he's extended to us. The last thing that we want to do is run out and give ourselves to our own desires. Instead, we want to give ourselves wholly to the God who rescued us and forgave us even when we were his enemies. We want to worship him with our lives, not just our words or our songs. And so as we've seen throughout our series, every aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is manifested in our lives. It's rooted in believing and responding to the person and work of Jesus, to the truth of the gospel. But while believing the truths of the gospel is the one thing that not only can change us, but will change us and cause us to be increasingly characterized by the fruit of the Spirit... The reality is, is that, that spiritual growth isn't a matter of simply knowing the right answers, right? It's not just a matter of knowing the right answers. See, it's one thing to know about the kind of love that God has for you. It's another thing for that truth to sink deeply into your heart and change you. It's something that doesn't happen by accident. You don't just wake up one morning with the truth of the gospel suddenly sunk down deep into your heart magically, <laughs> And I hate to say it, but the truth of the gospel doesn't stay deeply rooted in our heart accidentally either. You see, instead, growing in the gospel, which the Bible calls sanctification, right? It's a lifelong process that requires focus and intentionality and ongoing effort. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Don't mishear me. The Bible is abundantly clear that God is the one who is doing the transforming work in us, Right? But the reality is, is that he doesn't do it without us. You see, sanctification is, God, is something that God does in you, but it's not something he does without you. It's kind of like sailing, right? Sailors, they, they, they can't move without the wind. They are, they are completely dependent on the wind, right? But that doesn't mean that they just are sitting around on the deck of the boat doing nothing, Right? Sailors are hard at work, right? Tying knots and adjusting the sails and turning the rudder, making sure that the boom that does hold that's not they're not getting hit by that on the way, right? And sailing is an is incredibly difficult, but it's not passive by any means. It's completely dependent on the wind, and yet it is not passive. It's an incredibly active thing. See, similarly, we are completely dependent on God's spirit to cause us to grow, for his spirit to cause the gospel to take deep root in our hearts. But we're not passive in that. You see, we join God in the work that he is doing in us. And so what I want to do this morning as we wrap up our series as thinking about the fruit of the spirit is kind of try to land the plane a little bit on our study, bring things down to the ground level by laying out what it looks like for us on a practical, everyday kind of basis, both as individuals and as a, as a community, to be intentional about pursuing growing in the gospel. 
What are the things that we can be doing in order to join God in the transforming work that he is, wants to do in us? When you come back to the sailing and metaphor, right? What are the things that we can be doing to hoist the sail so that we put ourselves in the way of the transforming power of God's work in our lives? What are the things that we can be doing so that the gospel can catch the wind of the sail in our lives and cause us to grow? And see, because we want to be a people that's increasingly characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, and that only happens when the gospel takes root in our heart. So, to that end, let's pray. We'll dive into our study this morning. Uh, Jesus, God, we're just grateful for you and for our time together in your word. And, and we just want to humbly ask, God, that you would be meeting us in our study this morning, that the truth of your word would keep shaping us. Um, God, we want to be a people who are increasingly characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, and we are totally dependent on you for that happening. And so, God, we pray that you'd meet us in our time this morning to be challenging and encouraging and directing us, and so that that would be true, God, for our good and for your glory, we pray it all. Amen. And well, um, three things I want to highlight for us, three 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 important things we need to understand and realize if we're going to be able to keep growing in the gospel together. And the first thing that we need to recognize is that growing in the gospel, about growing in the gospel, is that it requires grace-driven effort. Growing in the gospel requires grace-driven effort. I think all of us could get really excited about the idea of passive transformation, right? Like, wouldn't it be amazing if you could just, like, grow spiritually by doing nothing at all, right? You just show up on Sunday, you're like, wow, that was cool. I'm totally a different person, right? Like, the ultimate, like, Jesus, take the wheel, right? Just, like, let it go. Just be like, all right, Jesus, hands off. Like, I'm, just do whatever you're going to do. It'll be amazing, right? Unfortunately, you don't find that idea anywhere in Scripture, See, instead, what you see repeatedly are exhortations to, to wrestle and run and work and suffer and endure and fight and resist and persevere and strive for godliness. Anything but passive. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul, he's, he's writing about his desire to see everyone grow up spiritually in light of the gospel. In verse 29, he says this, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works within me. That word, the, the, the word in the Greek that's translated as strenuously contend, the word that Paul used to describe the kind of effort he exerts towards pursuing spiritual growth in himself and others, that's the same word that we get our English word agonize from. It implies an intense and purposeful struggle. You see, growing in the gospel does not happen by accident. It requires serious intentionality and consistent effort. But here's the key. It's so important you see this. It's not pull yourself, by your, pull yourself up by your bootstraps effort. It's gospel-driven, grace-driven effort. First, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter begins his letter to the churches in, in Asia Minor this way. He says this. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. He says, it's his divine power that's given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by our evil desires. Verse five, it's so important you see this. For this reason, 
Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. You see, what Peter's doing as he opens his, his second letter to the church is that he's highlighting this incredibly profound relationship between our salvation and our sanctification, between, between God saving us and God growing us up spiritually. He begins with this powerful reminder of the good news of the gospel. He says, God save you from our sin and given us everything we need to live a life of worship unto him. And it wasn't anything that you did that caused that to happen. It's, it's not because of your righteousness or your goodness or your performance, he says it's because of Jesus' righteousness that have you received a faith, a precious faith. He goes on in verse five, right? He says, for this reason, because that is true, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and knowledge and self-control. Going on, he says, for if you possess those qualities increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord. Did you catch that? Right, Peter, Peter, he's saying that the fact that we have been saved entirely by God's grace, it doesn't lead us to a life of spiritual apathy and laziness, just waiting around for Jesus to come back or us you know, to get to heaven. In fact, it's the opposite. He says it's the good news of our salvation that has come by grace and God's righteousness given to us that causes us, he says, to make every effort to grow in the gospel, to, to become the people that God has made us and saved us to be. He goes on in verse 9, he highlights that when we're characterized by spiritual apathy and we're not growing and we're not intentional and we're lazy about it, it's because we've forgotten the message of the gospel. He says in verse 9 that we're forgetting, we've forgotten how we've been cleansed from our sin. See, the big idea that Peter is talking about here is how sanctification, our ongoing growth, growing in the gospel, is rooted in responding to the truth of the gospel with grace-driven effort. We talk a lot about the transforming power of the gospel here at River City, and we make a really big deal about how we are not saved by our own effort and our own performance, but by God's grace. And so you wouldn't be knocked by, for like connecting the idea of effort in a spiritual context as being a bad thing. But I think as Dallas Willard so helpfully points out, he says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You see, when it comes to sanctification, Peter says that effort and striving to grow spiritually, it is the appropriate response to salvation. See, we're not trying to earn God's grace. We're not trying to earn something from him. Instead, we're responding to God's grace with gratitude and joy because of the grace he has unmeritedly shown us, and it leads to us giving effort to our growth. Problem as Kevin DeYoung points out, I think so helpfully, is that he says some Christians are just stalled out in their sanctification for a simple lack of effort. So the question is, what what does grace-driven effort look like? Well, it's different than it's different than other kinds of things. You see, religiosity, religion motivates us towards growth and holiness with fear or pride, right? But the gospel is different. 
You see, the gospel motivates us towards the difficult and ongoing work of sanctification by keeping us coming back to the amazing grace that God has showed us. And so grace-driven effort begins by continually coming back to the truths of the gospel, by continuing to remind ourselves of who Jesus is and all that he has done for us, continuing to come back to the gospel roots that produce the Spirit's fruit in our lives, right? And so in response to that truth, we are seriously committed to pursuing spiritual growth. We're willing, as Peter says, to make every effort to make that happen. We're willing to make sacrifices with our time and our money and our energy to prioritize our spiritual growth, both in us and in the lives of others. For some of you, maybe that looks like setting aside your hobbies or choosing not to work all that overtime so you can get the promotion you have been dreaming of so that you can actually have time and energy to give to to investing in a small group or Christian community or discipling or investing in others. Maybe it looks like sacrificing sleep and committing to getting up even earlier than you already do so you can actually spend time reading your Bible and praying and talking with God. Maybe it looks like you and your family prioritizing sacrificial giving in front of spending on your own interests or just saving as much for the future because you want to care more about God's kingdom and his priorities than you do about your own kingdom. See, grace-driven effort looks like making every effort to grow spiritually, willing, willing to sacrifice our time and our energy, our finances, so that that might be the case. But grace-driven effort also looks like taking sin seriously in our lives, especially in response to taking grace seriously. Paul writes again in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, about, um, in verses 25 through 27, about how athletes who compete in the games, they go into strict training, he says. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it, he says, to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, he says, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. He says, I strike a blow to my body, make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I won't disqualify myself for the prize. I see, grace-driven effort looks like us not being okay with allowing sin in our lives, not being okay with allowing sin to just fester in some part or corner of our hearts and lives. Grace-driven effort is relentless about confessing sin and putting it to death, whatever that might cost. And so growing in the gospel, it's not going to happen without intentional effort, but but grace-driven effort alone isn't the silver bullet to growing in the gospel. Like we've talked about uh, last week when we talked about self-control, our our willpower, right, our effort level, right, that is a finite resource, and no matter how much you have, it will run out. See, if we want to be a people that's characterized by growing in the gospel over the long term, we're going to need more than just effort. We're going to need holy habits, and that brings us to the second thing we need to think about this morning. Growing in the gospel, it's going to require us to be characterized by holy habits. A, a habit is a behavior that starts as a choice but then becomes a nearly unconscious pattern. You see, researchers, researchers have actually found that, that over 40% of our actions every day come from a habit rather than decisions. You see, that means that nearly half of our actions on any given day, they take place without much conscious thought, right? That we just do them. They're habits. They're just the things that we do. And once a behavior has become encoded as a habit, 
It requires drastically less effort to do. And so habits allow us to, to move behaviors from being conscious and, effortless and effortful to, to, being, uh, to being unconscious and effortless. You outsource the work of willpower to the factory of habit, right? And so here's the other thing. Not only do habits... Not only do they, do they help us to reduce the effort that we need to take to, in order to, do, to grow spiritually, but habits are incredibly powerful. So powerful, in fact, that they can even override our, our choices that we make. John Ortberg, he's a pastor, he, he puts it this way. He says, habits will eat willpower for breakfast. Whether it's resisting temptation or following through on a promise or completing a difficult task, bet on habits every time. You see, unfortunately, we're not really that used to thinking about spiritual growth in terms of habits. Uh, we tend to think that if we simply learn the right things, that, we'll, that our behavior will change, right? And that, but the reality is, is that knowledge doesn't always lead to change. Even when we know what is right, we often fail to do that. You see, so growing in the gospel takes more than knowledge or information. That's where habits come in. Uh, one pastor, I think so helpful, he put it, he summed it up this way. This is so good. He said, habits aren't man-made tools for improving our behavior. They're how God chooses to shape us. He says, we are creatures of habit and God knows this since he created us. And therefore our gracious redeeming God meets us where we are by giving us spirit-empowered, heart-calibrating, habit-forming practices to retrain our loves. He goes on to say this, we are not saved or sanctified by our good habits in and of themselves, but there are specific spiritual habits that put us in the way of transformation and change. Habits, they put us in the way of transformation and change. Here's the deal. If we want to be characterized by growing in the gospel over the long term, we're going to need to, um, and being characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, we've got to be intentional about regularly and consistently creating space for the gospel to take deep root in our heart, we've, which we've got, uh, we've got to create habits that enable us to make space for the gospel to take deep root in our heart. Now, while the, the, the actual word habits doesn't appear all that often in Scripture, the Bible has tons to say about creating specific rhythms and patterns in our practices in our lives. And we don't have time to get into all of the good habits the Bible encourages us, but there are three kind of non-negotiable, critical habits that are important for us to have. That's reading God's Word praying, and being in Christian community. They're like the three non-negotiable habits, right? Verses like Psalm chapter one, which says this is, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or take seat in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 17 instructs us to pray without ceasing. Hebrews chapter 10, 25 exhorts us not to give up the, the habit of meeting together with one another as followers of Jesus. You see, there are all kinds of good habits that can help us grow, but those three are kind of the non-negotiable. We need to create habits that are centered around reading God's word, around praying, and around being in community with one another. We need them, otherwise we simply will not be growing. 
Now, we don't have time to do the deep dive on habits this morning, this, um, but I want to just highlight a few important things. Uh, last week, I mentioned a book that I read a few weeks ago called Your Future Self Will Thank You. Really encourage you to read that. There's a ton of really good stuff about habits in there, but a few things I want to highlight this morning. Uh, habits require a huge amount of effort up front to start. Habits are incredibly difficult to start. They require a huge amount of effort. So start small, right? Most of us, uh, when we start the new year, right, we start with resolutions, right? You just need to start with a resolution, right? The fact that you got more than one is already setting yourself up for failure, right? Habits are incredibly difficult to start, and so start small. Maybe this year you are just trying to read your Bible every day, right? And you're like, all right, I want to be in on it. I'm going to set aside an hour every morning, right? It's, you're not gonna, it's not going to happen, right? Start small. Give yourself 15 minutes. Work up from there, right? Be deliberate. Be intentional. But when you're starting habits, start small, right? Second, if you want to start good habits, replacing a bad habit is probably the most effective way to do that. Um, I feel like God's really been putting that on my own heart the last couple of months. And, and, and this year, one of the things I've been trying to do is is start my day by reading the Bible. Like literally the first thing I do when I wake up is spend time reading God's word. Uh, for me, sometimes I'm not conscious enough, so I hit the audio play button, right? Because uh, I'm like, I can't focus yet. All right, I'm like, I need to get going, right? What I found is that for me, oftentimes my, my morning habit is I turn over, my, turn off the alarm clock on my phone, and then I just start scrolling through the news or social media or my email. And what I found consistently is that what that habit was doing was messing with my heart, and I'd start my day instead of like spending time with Jesus and calibrating my heart to start a new day with him, I'm finding myself getting frustrated at what's going on in the news or I'm finding myself being consumed by what's happening in people's lives or on social media or whatever it is. And what I found is that I needed to, there was, I had no room in my morning routine to start with that stuff. What I needed is for God's word to be the thing that was shaping me. And so I found an app that had a plan. I don't make a decision in the morning. I just hit the go button, right? I wake up and I start reading God's word or I start listening to it, right? I got to do something. And that's, that has been so good for my heart this, this year. I want to encourage you. Maybe that might be what you need to do. Find a bad habit that you want to get rid of. Replace it with something that is good. You need to retrain ourselves. So that's number two. Number three, uh, when you're starting new habits, don't do it alone. Right? We often overestimate our willpower to the nth degree. We're like, ah, oh, we're going to do so great. It's going to be amazing this year. And you don't really tell anyone because you know deep down you're like, it's probably not really going to work out, right? And I don't want to have like that guilt that goes with like telling my friend like, hey, I said I was going to do this, but then I wasn't. Habits are not going to happen by, they're not going to happen alone. They're not going to happen by themselves. Uh, for me, I even started the first couple of days of this year just thinking like, ah, oh, I'll just, you know, we'll see how it goes, right? That I might tell some people. I'm like two days in, I'm like, I just need to tell my wife about what I'm doing, what my plan is, because like, just I need her to know that that's my goal, that that's where I'm headed, that's those are some things I'm, that I'm doing. So uh, don't do it alone. Ask someone else to check in on you. Ask someone else if they want to start a new habit with you. Whatever you find helpful for accountability, ask somebody for that, right? Invite somebody, don't do it alone. And lastly, number four with habits, don't give up. Don't give up. You, you might have heard it said that it only takes 21 days to start a new habit. Um, and that's true for like brushing your teeth, right? Something that requires almost no effort, something that is incredibly easy. For any habit that is, that is really any form of difficult, anything that's, that's hard to do, it requires at least 60 days. 
at least 60 days for something to become a habit. And so if you're like, we're starting the new year, you're like one week in, and you're like, this is whatever I'm trying to commit to, it is hard already, you are in good company, right? Because you're like 8% of the way to like creating a habit, right? Habits, they require a huge amount of effort on the front end. But eventually what happens is that they, the effort level required drops drastically and they're so important for us developing spiritual habits that put us in the way of growing in the gospel. So don't give up. Give yourself grace. Keep pressing in. Know that habits are hard, but they are so worth it. J.I. Packer, he wrote this. He said, for Christians, forging holy habits is crucial to our spiritual growth. The goal of the believer is to become in action what we are in heart. Habits help us to translate what we believe into how we live. They're so important, so don't, don't give up. Keep pressing into them. All right, so growing in the gospel, we've got to wrap it up this morning. It's going to require us to have grace-driven effort, holy habits, and last, growing in the gospel, it requires community. It requires community. You see, God eternally exists in community as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And because we are made in his image, we are made for community. And so you cannot be a lone ranger Christian. And you certainly cannot grow as a lone ranger Christian. No matter how introverted you might be, you are not designed to be alone, right? God's designed you for community for all of us to be in community. And so creating environments where the gospel can dig deep root in our heart, it requires community, but not just any community. It requires a community that is committed to lovingly, graciously, patiently, consistently, keeps pointing us back to the transforming power of the gospel. At River City, that, that starts here on Sunday mornings with, with musical worship that focuses our attention on Jesus rather than ourselves and reminds us of the good news of the gospel. It, it continues with gospel-centered preaching that always points us back to Jesus and his work in our lives. You will never show up to River City on a Sunday and not hear me get to Jesus. It will not happen, right? Or whoever else is up here. You, we will always come back to the person and the work of Jesus. And not just in some evangelistic way that's just for people who don't know him yet, but in a way that connects with our lives every day because the gospel is the thing that saves us and changes us. We need it every day of our lives. Hopefully you have seen that throughout our series. But Sundays aren't enough. That's why small groups are central to the mission of River City. But again, not just any small group. Small groups that focus on the heart. If you've been a part of a River City small group, what you know is that it's not like, uh, it's not like a Bible quiz, right? Our, our conversations around Scripture are, are intended each week to set us up to wrestle with God's Word on a heart level and to facilitate relationships where we can come alongside one another, encourage each other, um, press each other on towards growth. I just want to just say this. Community is hard. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes we hurt each other, Right? But community is also a powerful way that God not only not shapes us into his image, but how he reveals himself to a watching world. And so I want to urge you, be deliberate, be intentional about putting yourself consistently in a Christian community here at River City. And so growing in the gospel requires grace-driven effort, holy habits, and gospel-centered community. And I just want to invite you this year, as we start a new year, to press into that stuff with us. If you need help, you are not alone. I need help too, right? Come talk to me. We'll talk, we'll grow together, right? Talk to your small group leader or come find me or Aaron or another one of the leaders here. We'd love to serve you. All right, I just want to close with this. 
I just want to keep coming back to the motivations for all of this stuff, right? Second Peter, again, we talked about this earlier. He says, because God has saved us, because of his incredible grace, because of his righteousness given to us, we make every effort to join God in the transforming work that he is doing in us. You see, God's grace is not, it's, it's, worth, it's worth giving every effort to make the most of it. See, in, in communion, what we're doing is remembering that sanctification and growing the gospel, it's worth fighting for. See, in the bread, we remember that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was broken for us as he lived the life that we should have lived. And with the drink, we remember that his blood was, was shed for us as he died the death that you and I deserve to die. And so we remember that Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf and all that it accomplished us, and it reminds us how worthy Jesus is of our worship and of our lives given over to him. Communion, it doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't save you. It doesn't, stay your, doesn't change your status, your standing with God. Instead, it's a chance for you to remember, to remind ourselves of Jesus, his body, his blood given for us so that in remembering who he is and all that he has done, we would be filled with all the power and motivation we would need to keep pursuing him relentlessly. And so as we sing and as we worship and remember the gospel together this morning in song, if, if your hope's in him, if Jesus is the one you've trusted to, to save you and to empower your ongoing growth in the gospel, then whenever you're ready, take communion. If you miss the elements, they're on the table in the floor. You can grab them on your way out. But if you're here this morning and you're still figuring out who Jesus is and you're still deciding if you even want to follow him, I would just encourage you to hold off on taking communion this morning. This community is for you. This church is for you. But God's not after, he's not after rituals. He's not after motions. He's after your heart. And the only way to become characterized by the fruit of the Spirit is to respond in faith to his, the good news of the gospel. And so receive him before you receive communion. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you this morning and we're grateful uh, for our time with you. We're grateful for your word. We are grateful for the reminder this morning that, that the gospel is good news that changes us, but also that it's good news that drives a grace-driven effort in pursuit of that transformation. And so God, as a church, we pray that you would empower us in response to your incredible, lavish grace to be deeply committed to pursuing, growing in the gospel and spiritual growth, to be committed to putting ourselves in the way of the gospel's transforming work in our lives. And so God, uh, we need you for that too. We need you to empower our holy habits. We need you to empower us to keep pursuing community. We need you to empower us to be a community that pursues the gospel together. So God, uh, we come to you this morning as we start another year. Um, God, asking that for our good and for your great glory, you would cause all of that to be true in us. God, we pray in your name. Amen.